Superpowers on the Superpower Up podcast, the show that lifts the voice of love from orgasms to superpowers and everything in between. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Sex, Love, and Superpowers podcast show. I'm your host, Tatiana Berende, and today I'm really happy to have with me a friend and collaborator, Glenn Marks. And we are going to be discussing attraction, power, and psychology in the workplace. This is going to be a really, really good conversation. I'm looking forward to it. Let me tell you a little bit about Glenn. Glenn Marks is a PhD and an MBA, and he has worked as a clinical psychologist for over 21 years in a variety of organizations, ranging from for-profit and not-profit hospitals, the VA, the Department of Defense, and the state of Arizona. With a keen appreciation for the impact of workplace dynamics, his current focus is facilitating psychologically and emotionally healthier workplaces, places where people can show up warts and all and provide the best of themselves without fear of being judged or belittled. I'm so happy to have you on the show with us today, Glenn. Thank you for being here. It's a pleasure and an honor, Tatiana. Hmm. So before we dive into this topic where you and I have been connecting a lot recently around attraction power and psychology, especially in the workplace, um, will you please tell our listeners what your superpowers are? Gladly. So it may be odd for me to start with talking about my golden doodle, Abby, but with all of the time I've spent studying over the years and interacting with people Having a dog bestows a certain degree of superpowers on people, being able to observe and interact with the unbridled enthusiasm and the unconditional love. Mm. Can you say more about how you're developing a superpower around that? Because I think you're right. And I just want to, I want to hear more about like what, what it's pulling out in you and how you're connecting that to your life too. Well, part of this connects to uh, another superpower that I'll mention in a moment, but there is something about having a creature that helps people let their guard down. Mm. So simply watching her and watching other people's reactions to her as she just, she walks into a room and people smile. Mm -hmm. I take her out for walks and people always come up to me. And the letting the guard down opens up conversations with people. It opens up using these experiences of in people being just open and accepting without any judgment. I've made a lot of friends, Mm -hmm. a lot of people in our neighborhood, a lot of people where I go, and often these will lead to other conversations and people will, when they feel safe emotionally they let their guards down they're more vulnerable they will express more parts of themselves Mm -hmm. and so part and parcel of this superpower is learning to help people be at ease one of the superpowers that, that i've identified is being able to bring to people's attention how some of their behaviors, how some of their thinking is getting in the way of them living happier, fuller lives and getting in the way of them accomplishing what it is they would like in their lives Mm -hmm. and doing it in a way where people don't feel beat up, 
where they don't feel threatened, where this becomes the information, the presenting the information, the interaction, people feel very grateful for it. The willingness to be honest and compassionate and clear at the same time. So I've seen that in the dog as being a sort of an opening. She doesn't judge people. She doesn't care what they look like. And she doesn't care what their past is. So just going up and interacting. And and as curious as it sounds, it's sort of like a model for me to help develop my superpowers. I love it. Yeah, I think there's so much to be learned from from those beings that are are unfiltered in that way and don't have all of the psychological overlays that we humans yes pile on <laughs> over the years. We we get to be more complex than than what serves us at times. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. You're the first person to bring their dog into the superpower <laughs> conversation. So thank you for that one. Yeah. I'll, um, I'll, I'll, I'll give her a cookie for uh, yeah. <laughs> Please do. <laughs> give, her a, give her a little pat on the head for me. Um, or belly scratch, whatever. It is. Exactly. So a, a couple of other superpowers that yeah. I'll just throw out there is um, it's facilitating change. Mm. and doing it in a way that people feel part of the process, that it's not imposed upon them, but it's something where they fully are engaged and fully buy in. In my first career, I remodeled and changed people's homes and houses and businesses. And then my second career as a psychologist, I worked with literally over 11,000 patients. And with a number of them, we worked on changing something about their lives, their relationships, their relationship to their bodies, their relationship to their medical and physical conditions. And in this phase of my career, I'm facilitating changes in the workplace, places where people feel more ready to express their own superpowers, their own points of genius, their own talents, without feeling that that process gets stifled. Beautiful. Now, 11,000 people, that's like, a, that's a really impressive number. That's a huge um, research body, if you will, if, if, if looking at it from, a, from that lens. I'm so curious, through working with that many people, what would you say is like the most common thread that you have seen? I don't know that there is a single most common thread, but I will talk about several, which is as trite as this sounds, everybody's human. Mm -hmm. Everybody has emotions. And people who learn how to accept their emotions, and with that comes accepting their bodies, comes with accepting their physical conditions. Um, People that have learned how to do that graciously, are more psychologically healthy. They have less anxiety. And more of their attention and energy goes into whatever it is they're pursuing in their lives, whether it's art, whether it's career, whether it's family. So that's one of the the common threads. There are several other common threads, which I think... 
I tend to cluster many of the people I've seen into different types of patterns. But I've worked with literally generals and admirals, and I've worked with homeless people and, and people that have committed all sorts of heinous crimes. And how people respond to their environment. We have this funny thing in our culture where for a while, everything was about how we were raised, nurture. And then everything became about genetics, nature. Mm -hmm. And what I am finding or what I have discovered is it becomes much more complex. Environment matters. So people who have had horrendous experiences in their lives, various forms of trauma, various forms of health problems, often when they are in a nurturing, envir nurturing environment, be it a religious organization, be it family structure, be it a work environment, they respond in a healthier way. And we have a, in our culture, and I sort of, uh, this is one of the things that, that I am keenly aware of in, in working with people with their attitudes is this idea of that of self-determinism, the rugged individualism, that by ourselves we can overcome anything. And the flip side of that is that if we don't, that somehow we are to blame. Right. And we I've failed. Seen, yeah. Right. You know, it's lack of character. Mm -hmm. When I worked in the military, I would have a lot of soldiers coming back from war experiences, people with brain injuries, people with a, a number of, of concerns. And so endemic in that mindset was that somehow they should just suck it up and move on. And part of that mindset is mind over matter, that if we have strong enough will, we can overcome anything. And I've seen the impact in the, my work with people of how much that gets in the way of healing, how much of that gets in the way of relationships, and how much it really causes people to live a dual life. There's the how they think they're supposed to behave and feel, and then there's the reality of how they feel. And there's a real disconnect with that. So that's something that's been very strong. and, and as a pattern with a lot of the people that I've interacted with. Mm. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Yeah. Thank you for, for sharing that. I can absolutely see the truth in, in the power of accepting the human condition. <laughs> um, totally, totally resonates. Uh, we do. We we have to go to a quick break, um, and when we get back, I really want to talk more about sort of what you and I have been uh, concocting behind the scenes and and working towards, and and this whole piece about attraction in the workplace and how we really handle that. Um, before we go to break, though, will you tell everyone where they can go to find out more about you and your work? Yes, the company is. 180 and the numbers 180circle.com. And if people want to communicate with me directly, they could email me at Glenn with two N's, G L E N N, at 180circle.com. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Um, when we get back, 
Glenn and I are going to dive into this topic of attraction, power, and psychology in the workplace. So stay tuned. Are you here to change the world? Do you talk about things like vibration, frequency, awakening, and consciousness? Are you pretty sure you have superpowers? The Superpower Net is unlike normal coaching programs and conscious communities. We provide training, intuitive guidance, peer-to-peer learning, intensive one-on-one coaching, and a high vibrational network of people just like you. When you join the Net, you get 24-7 access to a collaborative group of people who support you as you master your personal power and unlock your superpowers. If you're ready to use your superpowers to change the world, then join the Superpower Net today. Visit superpowerexperts.com slash the net to learn more. All right, and we are back. So Glenn, you know, one of the ways that you and I really connected was around actually a lot of what's been happening with, with the Me Too movement and how men are responding to that. And um, and how that's impacting workplace dynamics, because that is an area that you're you're really inside of right now. Um, I would love for to just lay the foundation for this conversation. If you could sort of say what you've been noticing in workplace culture and dynamics around this whole topic of attraction and sexuality and how we do that thing that is that is is innate to our humanness right like we were talking about before with this now overlay of of the me too movement and and how that's impacting everything my most immediate observation is nobody wants to talk about this and i think there are a lot of reasons for that. There are, of course, the legal reasons, the legal ramifications. But back to what I was referring to a little bit earlier about this duality of how we think, how our culture informs us that we should feel and behave. When I look and have talked to people, and I've talked to women who have been recipients of sexual harassment, I've talked to men who have observed it and did not feel comfortable, had no idea how to respond, even though they were not perpetrators, there is this disconnect. And it's hard for me to separate it from how we disconnect from our emotions. In many ways, we disconnect from our bodies. So there are all these dynamics that are going on. There are, you know, we express ourselves through these things called bodies, and bodies mm-hmm. take different shapes and forms. And then within these bodies are these different hormonal responses. And the re- hormonal responses lead to feelings of attractiveness, feelings of inadequacy, and often feelings of discomfort. And so when there's a topic as heavily laden as sexual harassment. And we might want to spend a moment or two to talk about even what sexual harassment is, because to different people, it has totally different meanings. But what I have found with some organizations, not all, but with some, is people would just as soon not have this discussion at all, because Mm -hmm. it's too uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And it's sort of like, if we pretend it doesn't exist, it doesn't exist. Right. Right, kind of like the the mind over matter 
conversation, except we do it really poorly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Cause it, it's, it's interesting, you know, it's a, I feel like it's a conversation for another time, probably for a different show, probably Tonya's show. Um, but the, the whole, uh, you know, there, there is something to, to what you focus on expands. And there is also the truth of like, you, if what you ignore gets louder. Um, so both are true. And how do we navigate the interplay and the dynamic between those two truths? It's always an interesting conversation for me. But And something you and I have had some discussions about, which I think is relevant, is the rules are changing so quickly about workplace behavior, about yeah. what's acceptable. The power dynamics are changing. There mm-hmm. are more and more women who are leading and running businesses and organizations that no longer is it easy to say, well, this is sexual harassment. This is okay. This is not okay. And I think that also leads to a sense of people not wanting to have the dialogue. It just brings up too much ambiguity, too much uncertainty. And that leads people to be uncomfortable. And it's easy to either say, well, I've never done this, so I'm absolved. Or to say, well, it's somebody else's problem. And again, I'm not. I'm. I'm absolved, and and so I really don't want to deep dive into it. I'll tell you a really quick story that had an impression on me, and I'm mm-hmm. not going to uh, name the names just because I frankly don't remember the name. But out <laughs> in out in Silicon Valley, and I'm out in the Bay Area. And there's just an amazing talent pool and really a large push for egalitarianism. It's very common for women to lead and run organizations. And at the same time, the level of coming to the surface of sexual harassment is disenchanting. And a number of years ago, there was a, several years ago, there was a, a venture capitalist who anytime a female or many times when a female or a group of females would approach him about funding, he often would ask for some type of sexual favors or make inappropriate sexual comments. Well, eventually enough women were brave enough to come public with this. And he wrote this letter, a public letter, and in essence, I'm grossly paraphrasing, this was not his, his terms, but he apologized and he essentially said, I'm a creep and please forgive me. And I can tell you from a male perspective, that was totally unsatisfying. I went, there's no ownership mm-hmm. that one has the ability to be more sensitive. You know, it's sort of like, I'm just a jerk, so that's okay, my behavior is okay. And that, amongst a number of other experiences, led me to raise the question, which you and I have talked about, is what can be done to help people? Yeah, I I think that's, I mean, that's why we've created this workshop. So for our listeners, Glenn and I have, um, have created a workshop for men called Having the Balls to Stop Sexual Harassment. And we're going to be running our first um, pilot of this workshop in January in the Bay Area. But because we 
because the rules, I think you really hit the nail on the head earlier when you're talking about the rules are changing. And I think the truth is that to try to make rules around this is ludicrous. I mean, yes, we have to have, just like we have laws, like don't kill anyone. Yeah. Okay. Don't rape a person. Yes. But then like, what is rape in the line of that gets so, um, you know, confusing for a lot of people, which that in and of itself is another conversation. Cause I don't think that line needs to be that confusing. Um, but it, I just, in turn, I feel like something that where you and I have, have really met and, and agreed upon is like to create more rules is not what we need. What we need is to help people and men in particular who have been conditioned to not have any attunement to any kind of sensitivity um, and culturally told that that's not okay is, is to, to teach them skills of how do we actually listen to ourselves and to another body or being that's in the space? And what is that, what is that interplay? What, what's that nonverbal conversation that's occurring? And how do we tune into that? Yes, very, very crucial and very critical. And from a psychologist's perspective, it's easy for me to say, well, most of this comes down to self-awareness. In reality, many people, they're just not wired that way. And at the same time, as we're going to introduce in, into our workshop, is helping people gain a greater awareness of what it feels like to be on the receiving end of a power differential. And I have worked with men and women alike who have had supervisors, who have had commanding officers, who have had older brothers and sisters, who have had friends that treat them in a way that I don't think is malicious, but it's hurtful because the, the person perpetrating this action has no idea what it's like to be on the receiving end of a power differential. So as an example, a supervisor probably has very little awareness of how people look up to them and how they respect their, their opinions and how they are looking at them for guidance and leadership. And somebody in that position is just making an offhanded comment about a woman's breast or, you know, this person's butt or whatever it is. Um, I don't think they have an awareness of the impact of that. And I do think that can be trained. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, I totally lost the question that I was going to ask you. I had one. I had a good one. <laughs> It'll come back. I do want to sort of, so, you know, when I asked you earlier what you saw as sort of the, the, the common theme in the workplace is that nobody really wants to talk about this. Um, why is it important that we talk about this? I don't see any evidence that the problem is going away. The problem of men and women alike 
because 20% of sexual harassment complaints are men feeling that female supervisors are treating them in a way that they perceive as sexual harassment. And the problem's not going away. In fact, the, as much publicity as there is out there, as many news accounts as there are, as many really positive steps that a number of companies and individuals are taking, there's hardly a week goes by that we don't get another glaring example of this. And I think part of it is, you know, back to what we just talked about, that um, people don't know what the rules are, and people don't even know what inappropriate behavior is. And again, it just seems like it's just easier to ignore it. Do you think it's true that people don't know what inappropriate behavior is, or they just don't care because they haven't had any negative repercussions in their own life from it? Well, I'm going to just speak strictly from a male's perspective, and mm -hmm. I don't want, and from my perspective, I'm not going to make any general statements. There are so many mixed messages. So many mixed messages. There's a subset of women that make it very clear that any discussion about what somebody, and, and I don't want to limit it to women, subset of men and women make it very clear that it is any discussion about personal looks are taboo. That's inappropriate. And at the same time, there are equal number of, no, I don't want to say equal, a subset of people that if you don't comment, you're being insensitive. Mm -hmm. if you don't notice that they've gone out of their way to make themselves look attractive. Now, certainly this happens much more in a romantic setting, but any more our personal and work lives are, are collapsing together. So the, the boundaries are, are different. And so there's these mixed messages. If I make a comment that somebody looks nice, and I'm not even talking about their body parts, I'm talking about what they're wearing, the way their hair is, something like that, then for a subset of people, that's taboo. And if I don't make a comment, then I'm being totally insensitive. And so I do think for a lot of people, they don't recognize it. And frankly, when I'm around some of my women friends and, you know, listen to some of their comments about sex and attractiveness, I go, <clears throat> you know, I don't know where the boundaries are. Now, Personally, I'm very good at reading people's emotions, so I can navigate that very well. Mm -hmm. But if I weren't, it's like if I don't join in the banter, am I a jerk? Right. Or am I being sensitive? Right. Yeah, and I think that is one of the biggest questions that it seems like a lot of men are having right now. It's like, where do you, where do you go from there? You're kind of damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. What's the correct thing to do? And we've seen a lot of backlash in terms of some groups of people, some religious organizations, some cultures have made a policy that a man will not have lunch or be in a meeting or have coffee with a woman without another man or another woman around as a witness. And I don't think that that's any healthier. I think that actually creates a whole new set of, of problems. 
So that's part of the, well, what is? How are the different ways that we can interact, men and women, without creating tension and without creating ill will towards each other? Yeah. And I think it really does come back to this conversation about power. I'm sort of remembering what I was wanting to talk about before. Um, because there, there is a huge, I mean, there's, there's so many directions I want to go with this conversation about power because um, there's so many layers to it. But being able to recognize um, first of all, holding our own internal self-dominion. I mean, that's what we do at Superpower Experts. That's what we work with people on over and over and over again so that these kinds of dynamics don't occur. But I think if someone is not at the point where they're really ready to, to completely stand in their own self-dominion to at least start to recognize when we're in a power play with somebody, I think it's hugely, 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 hugely important and necessary right now. Um, it doesn't help that there are certain workplaces that are set up in such a way where there's an inherent power dynamic um, that that adds a whole other overlay onto the conversation about power. But I do think that it's, which is why I, I wanted to include it in in the title and what we were talking about today. You know, it's it's huge, and it can't it can't be glossed over. Um, it's a it's a touchy word for a lot of people. Power is a trigger word for some people uh, because there's been a lot of misuse of power and it can have a really negative connotation. But I think that almost more than sex itself is really what the conversation is that we need to be having right now. I agree with that. I think the... The sexual overtones, even if it doesn't turn into a, a sexual interaction or whatever some of the really darkest types of behavior are, it, it is that the, the term I've used earlier is the power differential. Mm -hmm. And it is so inherent that people don't even think about it. They're not even aware of it. So again, the, it was it, the idea of a supervisor to an employee, an right. owner to a manager. Um, and even in some dynamics, it is somebody in the workplace, somebody who's been there longer than a newer person. Right. Um, age, culture, all of these add to power differentials. And when people when when people are not clear on that, it opens up both misinterpretation of behavior, but it also opens up um, it's a whole range of emotions. Some people are very attracted to power. Mm -hmm. so, so here's a piece I want to just mention. There's this duality in, that we know from psychology and neuroscience that one of the biggest ways to build trust, one of the quickest ways to build trust is to be vulnerable. So going back to where I started with my 
my dog, Abby. Yeah. She's just so vulnerable that people immediately trust her. And then when I talk to them, they trust me. And in an imbalanced dynamic in a workplace, if somebody sees somebody in a position of power, a supervisor, a higher ranking officer, uh, an owner, and they want to become part of being accepted and part of an inner circle, there's a tendency to become more vulnerable. And the dark side is you and I know very well, it's a subset of people who abuse that vulnerability. Yeah. And people feed off of it. Absolutely. Yeah. And so a lot of, when I have deconstructed a lot of sexual harassment cases, I think a number of them have started that way. There was a female or male employee who became vulnerable, opened themselves up, appreciated the attention, appreciated the somebody recognizing something in them, a skill, an ability, and that creates trust that opens up more vulnerability. And then that can lead to, well, let's go have a drink together. Oh, let's go have a meal together. And then the boundaries get really, really skewed and crazy at that point. Mm -hmm. I'm so glad you brought that vulnerability piece forward because I think that that I just, there's there's so much to that layer of the conversation. Um, to someone who's listening to this, who who might be not in a position of power in the workplace, it's like, what do you do to to gain connection? Because really, like at the end of the day, I think what we're all motivated by more than anything is approval, appreciation, connection, and love, right? Right. And for some people, the workplace is where most of their social interactions happen. Yes. So it's only natural that there would be a desire to have some people with whom there can be a certain level of vulnerability. Yes. And then just to go off on a tangent for a few seconds, part of what I'm working with with some organizations is how do you develop healthier teams and vulnerability and risk-taking is a big piece of that. Right. But so that being said, how do you then navigate the other end of that dynamic that can get opened up where there's the people who want to take advantage of that vulnerability and who for them, it makes them feel more powerful to, to do so. Well, well, you're looking for a formula, a prescription, and <laughs> I wish I had a do A, B, and C, and that would take care <laughs> of it. There are some suggestions and some very clear suggestions. And when I have raised the topic with a number of female friends, about sexual harassment in the workplace. Everybody has a story. And everybody, everybody knew when there was something creepy going on with the other person. And I think what happens in a number of cases is is 
the people who are experiencing that, somebody pushing the limits of power, they disconnect from respecting their own emotions and their own feelings. Now, in many cases, people who abuse power are really superbly manipulative at this. And so it's like, well, if you want this job advancement, if you want to keep your job, uh, if you want these other benefits that I can bestow upon you, then you have to engage in this behavior. You have to accommodate me. And sometimes it was just simply, there wasn't a sexual overtone with some of the people I've talked to. It was somebody wanted to have dinner with them. Somebody wanted them to stick in the office longer while they talked about their families and stuff like that. And so I think part of it is just being really clear when people are uncomfortable and often going to somebody you trust. And it may not be HR because often they can't help. And some organizations don't have HR. But you know, so the first step is just recognizing that there's something uncomfortable and then going to people you trust, family members, friends. Um, unfortunately, spouses are not always, and partners are not always uh, supportive, but finding somebody you trust and, and getting some validation that, yeah, what I'm feeling uncomfortable and I ought to pay attention to this. Mm-hmm. And more and more, I keep thinking about using the power of the community. So if it is a workplace where there are a number of people, you know, without pointing fingers, without putting oneself into a more vulnerable position, and what I mean by that is if somebody says, hey, the boss or the supervisor is um, making unwanted overtures, often that puts somebody in greater jeopardy because other people don't want to be around them. Um, they don't want to be be part of it. But if but if they engage, if if one engages in a conversation with people they trust and go, you know, am I being overreactive? Here's what happened. Now there's a there's a challenge to that, but mm-hmm. I think it helps strengthen people. It can help strengthen um, mm-hmm. that experience, and then enlist people who can be an intermediary. So, for example, one woman was telling me about how she was the only woman in a a welding class of a bunch of guys. And fortunately, the person leading it was just one of these people that just put an end to anything. So if somebody started to make an inappropriate sexual comment, he just said, no, we're not talking that way. That's not appropriate here. Um, Most organizations, if they're large enough, there are influential people in the organization who can act as intermediaries. They can go to the person whose behavior may be inappropriate and just have a a conversation to put the end to it, or several people together can do that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I mean, one of the things that you and I have talked about and that we will be addressing in, in our workshop is, is when men see behavior that they know is inappropriate, but they're afraid to speak to it. They're they're afraid to sort of to call out their fellow men on their inappropriate behavior. Yes, absolutely. Because I mean, what I just heard you say is like 
there, it's so important to have those allies, to have those intermediaries. Um, it's really crucial right now. It's like, yes, the women can stand up and the women can stand together, but then it creates this whole like women against men thing. And, and it really, I, I loved how you said, you know, leaning into the power of the community because that, that really is what this is about right now in this time that we're in. It's like learning how we can work together and to just make it a, a man versus woman thing is not only inaccurate, but it's just not helpful and it's not going to move us forward at all. And so we do need people who are willing to see something and to say something on behalf of another person. And the more people can build the alliances, the easier it is to do that. So if I'm in a, in a workplace and there's a dozen people and I'm uncomfortable with somebody's comments over and over, and if I try to make a big deal about it, especially if there's this power differential, you know, they have the ability to determine whether I'm going to get promoted. They have the ability to assign chefs. You know, if I do it by myself as a male, go up to another male and say, gee, this isn't appropriate or I'm really uncomfortable when you do that, it's pretty easy for me to get sucked into it. Oh, you're just being oversensitive. You're a wimp, you know, all these derogative things. But if three or four or five people go in together, it's just so much easier. And it empowers everybody. And it yeah. creates it creates a healthier workplace because then it's not personal. It's not like, gee, you're a jerk. We want to get rid of you as the boss. It's like, hey, you know, there's a bunch of us here that find this is inappropriate and it's adding tension and conflict in the workplace. Strength in numbers. Yes. <laughs> awesome. Well, um, I'm really looking forward to to stepping into this work with you. I think it's going to be very powerful for, for the men who choose to take part in it. Um, for those of you who want to find out more about the event that we are doing, we have an event page on Facebook, um, Having the Balls to Stop Sexual Harassment. It's going to be happening in Berkeley in January. I'll be sharing it in the Superpowers Are Real Facebook group. So if you're not already a part of that group, come join us in Superpowers Are Real. and. Um, is there, is there any last thing that you want to leave our listeners with today, Glenn, before we close out this conversation? Uh, I think the other last piece, and this is part of what we're talking about in the workshop we're covering, is, is it ties into this mixed messaging. But it's not just men observing and not knowing what to do, but often men get unfairly singled out for inappropriate behavior. And yeah. I think that increasing one's toolkit of how to respond when people feel that they're being unfairly singled out can be very powerful. Because part of my work, again, with the organizations and teams is using conflict to grow rather than to divide. And so when there are all these ambiguities around 
sexual innuendo, sexual harassment. And in my mind, it, it extends to cultural insensitivities and, and innuendos and things of that nature. Um, how learning how to use that to strengthen relationships, to strengthen workplaces, to strengthen community, rather than just expelling people because they didn't follow the rules, is equally as important to our growth and our health. I couldn't agree with you more. And thank you so much for, for bringing that piece up. Um, Cause I do think, I do think men get singled out. And I think there's a lot of women who, I mean, there's a lot of real concrete reasoning behind this and, you know, history and generations of women sort of being taught that the only place they can have power is through sex. Um, but there are a lot of women who yield, who, who wield their sexual power um, unconsciously inappropriately um they do it to get ahead and for a lot of women it's because they think that's the only way they can um but i think that needs to get called out too in this whole conversation yes and and it's tricky like we like you mentioned earlier there's it's not a all men are doing this all women are doing this (laughs) you know (laughs) dynamic there's there's definitely different subsets of people that are operating um in different ways and it's affecting all of us. And so how do we learn to swim in those waters and navigate and sort of read each other and, and respond to the person that we are directly in front of, not the idea of what we're supposed to be doing, I think is, is it's time to know how to do that. And the one last thing that I want to offer before we sign off and Possibly your and my work will evolve to this. We're not starting. But I think what's missing in our culture in general is we don't talk to each other much. We point fingers, we blame, and that's endemic these days. And one of the things I'm hoping you and I will be able to facilitate at some point is let's get men and women together and let's just open up an honest conversation. Yeah, totally. And I think that in itself will be liberating for a lot of people. Absolutely. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I'm so happy to be um, to doing this work with you, Glenn, and just so grateful for you in the world and for what you're doing. Again, for those of you who want to find out more about Glenn, you can go to 180circle.com. It's 180circle or .com or .org? .com. .com. Um, And for our listeners, just thank you so much again for tuning in. Um, I really appreciate you, appreciate your support. Um, If you haven't already joined us in the Superpowers or Real Facebook group, please do so. And until next time, go out and love yourself so that you can love the world more deeply. Many, many blessings. Are you ready to discover your superpowers? Go now to superpowerexperts.com and take the superpower quiz today.